Welcome to Innovation in Audio. This is our Wednesday live event. This happens every single Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We call this event Innovation in Audio. You may be aware that we also have a Monday event that also happens at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and that event is called the Radio Rally. On that live event, we interview two radio professionals about their career arc, how to get noticed, how to get hired, how to move ahead in radio today. And we talk about managing your career toward the future because this group is called the Encouragers. The event you're listening to right now is different. Innovation in audio usually involves one person in the radio or podcasting world, but we also have another interview often with someone outside of radio or even audio itself. This second individual is usually involved directly in the path of innovation. Our purpose on Wednesdays is to handle innovation, change, how to create it effectively, where are we going, and a lot more. My name is Lloyd Ford, and I am a branding advisor and consultant with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works, LLC. I'm always going to stick my neck out and say you should hire me if you're struggling to grow revenue, especially if you could use a clearer strategy. If you have a morning show that isn't famous enough to lead your radio station in ratings and drive overall radio ratings for your local brand. If you want a real 21st century advisor who will help you build strategy to grow value in your brand, who will provide you with a crisis hotline you can call for backup. Our short name is RPC, but it always means the same thing. Pathway to money. Rainmaker Pathway. Call me and ask about how our music lab prevents music drift and improves ratings. You can also ask about how our morning show fame development coaching puts the accent and the action in the right place to build opportunity for robust ratings growth. Ask about encouragement too. It's one of our services. We help podcasters find their audience too. If you know somebody who's looking for fresh answers, recommend us. It's not the same old, same old. We'd love to help. And of course, you can reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. Both our Monday live events and our Wednesday live events are on Clubhouse, and they're also now individual podcasts. Wednesday's event as a podcast is known as the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. And of course, uh, our live Monday event as a podcast is called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, two podcasts. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating audio footprint and distributing them. Today's guest, innovation investor John Crenshaw. We're going to talk about Elon Musk. Yes, we're going to talk about how you can spot a real innovator from somebody who just talks the talk. We're also going to talk about Bitcoin and a lot more. Derek Brown is with us. He is the director of urban programming for Alpha Media. Now, we're going to talk about radio. We're going to talk about urban radio. We're going to talk about the future and what happens next. Our purpose on the encouragers is simply to encourage you if you make your living in audio today or if you just love innovation. There's lots of noise, believe me. If you spend time as our regular in our weekly events, it will be like getting a shot in the arm, some great tips and hacks to propel your career forward, and you will gain access to advantages others simply don't have just for being here. We've already scheduled our guest all the way into September, and you really should see who is on the list in our free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. You'll also find free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series. And uh, check this out, some more encouragement for local radio sellers with our Encouraging Sales Success Series, as well as free resources for anyone in radio or audio today. You can find it right there at RainmakerPathway.com. We do not lock away anything on our site, as some other consultants do. So go ahead, go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime, and you can see what you can get from our team for free. One last announcement before we get started with today's live event. This is a bulletin. 
the Radio State of the Union live event is coming on August the 10th. A frank discussion about employment, job search, career management, corporate and local radio, and of course, the future. With Mike McVeigh and Lloyd Ford, the encouragers on Clubhouse is where you'll find it Tuesday, August the 10th. 2021, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and you are invited. This is your invitation right now. Let's turn our attention to today's guest right now. We're going to start with innovation investor John Crenshaw. I must say this before we get started. What you're about to hear is definitely not investment advice or even meant to be focused on portfolios or what you're doing in investment. We don't even care what you're doing in investment. This is not about that. Our focus on innovation and audio is purely innovation. We've not had someone who focuses on investments and innovation, but clearly anyone who's interested in innovation knows that investment in innovation is a big part of that world. John, please welcome to Innovation and Audio. How are you doing? Doing great, Lloyd. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You are what I term as an innovation investor. Uh, you have participated in day trading, which scares me to death since about <laughs> 1996. And and look, you, you especially love innovation. I know this about you. And to be fair, you and I have known each other for a long time. I think that your love of innovation has developed more and more as innovations in the century have really opened up. I call this the innovation century. What drives your interest in real innovation? I think it's something that started for me pretty young, something you might not know about me, Lloyd, even though we have known each other a long time. Uh, watching the old Star Trek reruns as a young kid and the things that were on the show, and, and this I know, we don't have transporters and we don't fly to other star systems, but the communicator, pretty much everyone holds one in their pocket now. The universal translator, that's how they got around, you know, going to these worlds and these people would speak another language. The computer would translate it and you would hear it in your language. I was in a store, a <laughs> cell phone repair store, and someone was using the Google translator for a a client to speak into their phone and then it came back in English and they would speak and would go back in Spanish to the client because they didn't have someone who spoke Spanish there. Oh, I was going to say we have that thing right now. I've seen it. We do. It, it's, it, it, but I saw it being used as like a free app and it, it's stuff that I, I didn't think I would, you know, necessarily ever really see. Um, space tourism, you know, just beginning this, just in the past couple of weeks, um, just that fascination with the future and then seeing things that were science fiction on, on a small scale right now becoming science fact. So I've always kind of been interested in, in change in the future and in innovation. Well, you know, I call this uh, 21st century the innovation century, and no kidding. I mean, when you're living in the world with things like Zoom, now I know for millennials it's like, okay, whatever, you know. We got the little, you know, you can watch a movie on your phone, you can do, okay, I get it. But there are things catching up to us that are just, seem to be the technology is faster and faster and faster. In your opinion, what is required to be a true innovator today? In other words, um, how does someone do innovation? What ingredients are needed? Well, when I when I think about it, I look at the examples to me that stand out. And I, I know that we're going to talk a little bit about, you mentioned that we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Elon Musk. Um, as a person who laid out a vision early, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how closely the folks listening have followed Elon but what he did when he took that stake in Tesla, he actually didn't start it, but he took a large stake and he became the CEO. And he laid out a 10-year plan. But the, the driving force behind all the innovation for Tesla is that he wants to advance the use of sustainable energy as rapidly as possible. So I think there has to be a big idea driving all the innovation and a passionate person 
who is in charge of that. And if you have those things, and we're talking, since we're talking about investing here, if, if you see someone who is a founder or an early investor who's incredibly passionate and has a large vision, that's not just, we're going to get the stock price up. This quarter was great. It's not about quarter to quarter. It's about a 10 year plan. And his 10 year plan, if y'all don't know, was he was going to sell something called the Tesla Roadster, very expensive car, limited production, take that money and make the Model S, which would be about a 70 to $100,000 car, sell enough of those to finance, to make the Model X, which was an SUV with the gullwing doors, make enough money off of all of this to start the Model 3, which would be a more mass appeal car that could be afforded by more and more people. And he was going to do this in 10 years and he would be selling half a million vehicles by 2020. And they're projected to be somewhere by the end of this year in the, I think 900,000 vehicle range. Now, when, you, when, when he started this, it was one of the most heavily shorted stocks on wall street which means that hedge fund managers and Wall Street types were betting against the company. Basically, you borrow the stock, and if the stock goes lower, you buy it back, and you make profit as it goes down. No one really believed that this thing would be a success. But he's, his driving vision behind it, again, is, is not about making huge profits. It's not about driving the stock price higher. His driving vision is... He believes that global warming is a perilous problem for humanity. He believes that sustainable energy and sustainable transportation is one of the keys to taming that problem. And that passion drives him. I mean, he even opened up the patents to a lot of the things that Tesla has come All up right. with. So, so I don't want you to give away the baby, but I'm going to translate a couple of things here. I'm going to give a couple of examples, and uh, you can just say check mark after if you agree. Uh, okay. An idea of somebody who would fit this mold would, of course, be Elon Musk. He's going to Mars. And, and unlike his competitors who are trying to build automobiles, I don't even think he's doing that. I think he's trying to disrupt energy itself. Does he that is. Get a check. That gets a All check right. mark. And then Mark Zuckerberg, which I know some people just kind of smile at because it's like all he did was do Facebook. Well, Facebook is not exactly what you think. It, this is my supposition that Mark Zuckerberg is not trying to have a, uh, a dot com or an app or anything. He's not interested in any of that. He's trying to capture the Internet. Is that a check mark? That is a check mark, and actually, Lloyd uh, was on this years ago. Lloyd told me this, by the way. You were you were all over what Zuckerberg's vision was, and that's what drives that innovation. He basically wants to be the internet. So all the stuff that they do, the Instagram, the the uh, the WhatsApp, I mean, all the different things they've bought and folded in, are part of that vision. Well, and it's really interesting, and we are going to get to the stock market here in a minute, but there, these visionary leaders who are doing innovation are often in conflict with, we'll just call them the, um, the average everyday investor or the investor institution of investing, because they're always trying to say this isn't something. We've seen the rise of investment apps, by the way. This is an area of innovation within itself. It uh, has caused uh, the price of buying stocks and uh, even the idea that you can buy a whole share to be completely disrupted. This has caused a lot of people to start investing when they didn't before day trading and dabbling in things they really don't know anything about. Many started it because they were at home during the pandemic and some right. have just continued. Don't you think a lot of people are going to learn some really hard lessons doing this, John? Absolutely. They're going to get hurt. I've been there. I've been through several cycles of this myself and I can still get hurt. So back in the nineties. Yeah, I was going to say, can, say can you, can you confirm for us that you have hurt yourself a lot doing the kind of innovation? Oh, a that lot. You 
Absolutely. And there's two things. I, I would call one investing and one trading. By every single thing that you engage in with, with the stock market, you need to have a T or an I beside that. If it is a trade, you're trying to make a little bit of money quick off of some type of swing that's usually a supply demand thing, a momentum thing, or just a fear and greed thing. And that's basically what drives the stock market short term, human emotion. Oh, yes. If it's an investment, if it's an investment, you buy it and you sock it away. And if it goes lower, you buy a little more and you just hold it over a long period of time. Um, right. The market we've been in lately has been a really good trading market. So it's, it's kind that. of roller coaster. It is. And that's, you know, I've gotten, I've been in and out of trading for a while, but when the pandemic hit, and the market basically lost 40% in a matter of weeks, I recognized it was going to open up again for trading because the market was reacting emotionally to every little piece of news that came out. It, it happened just in the past couple of weeks. There was a piece of news about the Delta variant that sent the stock market down about a thousand points. And right, then this, just, this is where I'm going to chime in and just say one more time, this is not investment advice. If not you investment, investment advice, no. you call somebody who's an investment broker, not us. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's right. That's All right. right. I really want to talk about a variety of ideas, John, that are really changing the world right now or trying to change the world right now. This is going to cause us to talk about several big idea products or innovators or both. Let's start with Elon Musk a little bit. You, you were an early investor in Elon Musk and Tesla. There's so much controversy about him. People like to talk. They love to predict his failure. Of course, that's become a little bit more challenging as he's put up some really significant successes with Tesla and now SpaceX. Is that Wall Street being negative? Why did they do that, in your opinion? I think that if you're going to get uh, investment advice from Wall Street, that you're going to get what is safe and sound, and you're never going to get on board a Tesla. And you, you would have to look pretty hard to find somebody on Wall Street to tell you to invest in Tesla. There were a few. Kathy Wood, who we'll mention a little later, I think, in this, is somebody who was early on it. And they literally just made fun of her on television for years for her wild projections about the stock price. But they, they don't see that future because what Wall Street analysts basically want to do is look for the quarter to quarter profits to increase. Visionaries who will take their, their money that they're making and reinvest it right back into the company are largely ignored by Wall Street. So another idea that Elon had that is very innovative along the lines of innovators that made me want to be an investor in anything I could get my hands on that he was a part of, which was just Tesla. SpaceX is not public yet, is for SpaceX... He said the entire problem with launching rockets is we launch them once and dispose of them. We have to get to where we can land them right back on the pad. They said impossible. He said 98% of the cost is that you build this rocket and you throw it away when you're done. It would be like taking a plane from New York to Los Angeles and throwing it in the Pacific Ocean when everybody got off the plane. Makes no sense. But they've done that now. And oh, now dude. NASA is contracting with SpaceX to ferry our astronauts to the space station. Absolutely. And anybody who's listening to my voice right now, after this event is done, please go to YouTube if you've not seen this and just type in SpaceX rocket returns to Earth and see if you don't see the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Uh, I do want to ask why you were an early believer when it was hard to believe in Elon Musk, and are you still such a passionate believer? And I might as well change that a little bit to say, would you buy SpaceX stock if it came to be, and why would you say yes if that answer is yes to both? I, I would, yes, I would buy SpaceX stocks. If, if it came public, it will come public. He said he's going to wait about two years before it comes public. Uh, I would say yes to both. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily, depending on price, because Tesla's made such a run, I would wait on any significant pullback to add to a position there. That's just for me personally, again, not investment advice. Right. It's, a very it's a very volatile stock, but you're betting on the man. 
And if you bet on a visionary who has that kind of drive and that kind of vision, you're probably over the long term going to do better than you would if you're just investing in a company that has the CEO of who they hired and you know he's about quarterly profits and he says all the same pablum stuff that they all say he's just oh, trying yeah. to get profits up the next quarter the next quarter the next quarter and he may destroy some innovation in the company he may shut down parts of the company to get numbers where they need to be to get the stock price up you're not going to see elon musk do that yeah, he has a long-term vision yeah, th yeah, that's why Wall Street probably doesn't like him either. Okay, so right now it's pretty easy for almost anybody or maybe anybody on earth to see that Elon Musk, okay, you see him on TV, you go, that is an innovator right there. I get it. Can you give us an example of an innovator who has entered an industry that was considered dead or let's call it unattractive or less than sexy? But this person or company reinvented an old idea and made it into something incredibly profitable and a new kind of business. Do you, do you have an example you could give us for that? Because you look at a lot of things. <laughs> well, I mean, there's the obvious one is Jeff Bezos, which is kind of a layup here from this standpoint. But when Amazon started, Jeff Bezos gave up a job on Wall Street, agonized over the decision over a long weekend, had a great job lined up and started delivering books in his Ford Bronco out of his garage in Seattle. By All right, but I, wait a minute, but I'm going to call, I'm going to call you on that because I think like Elon Musk, people can see that this, this guy from Amazon, he's pretty much an innovator. I mean, can you give us a sector? Can you give us a business that there's something that, Truly, everybody on this event would look at and go, oh, no, that's not going to be innovative. And they reinvent the category. I can give you a couple where they're they're working towards that right now. Um, right. I know that you and I talked about the uh, the junkyard and, and that thing once. Right. Right. Get into that. We can, we can get into that. I, I want to give you a, a real quick one. Uh, banking is pretty boring, I think, to most people as far as you put your money in the bank, you go to the teller, you can now scan a check-in with your phone. There are great innovations coming with, group, with uh, companies like Square, which is run by Jack Dorsey, who is also the CEO of, and founder of Twitter. And they're, he's very disruptive in the things that he is doing. Um, uh, with PayPal, there's Venmo, there's the Cash App with with Square. They have several hundred million users before the major banks have even invented something that's close to it. They're catching these guys napping in kind of an old line industry that goes way back into the 1800s. And they are really making inroads on the banking industry. Yeah, and people don't know how disruptive that is. We're talking about the financial system could be unseated, correct? Yes, yes. And I, and I know we're going to get into Bitcoin, but that's something that, that Jack Dorsey is very high on that he thinks could even become a global currency. Doesn't mean he's right, but he has been incredibly innovative as the CEO and founder of these two companies. Square, most people just know as that little thing you stick inside your iPhone or iPad, you can swipe a credit card. It's it's a lot more than that when you actually look into the company. Oh, when, when you were talking about, it, right? Business people yeah. know Square like crazy. Yeah, small business people know it, and now they're going to have uh, business uh, banking accounts. They um, they are getting into crypto uh, on a large scale. Uh, right, he so believes listen. it is the future. You're going to bring that up. I might as well go ahead and I'll bring get it into it. You are a big believer in Bitcoin. Do I have that right? I have become a believer in Bitcoin. I was a skeptic and I've converted. So for those of you who think it's nuts, there's, it, it may, maybe it is, but you might, if you look into it, um, think differently as you look a little deeper into it. I, I want you to do me a favor, please. Why could <laughs> cryptocurrency be the future? And please explain it to me like I'm a fifth grader, John. I tell you, the, the truth is I have I have a difficult time explaining it. And there's parts of it that I don't fully comprehend. But this is what I do know about Bitcoin in particular. 
Um, the blockchain is the main part of it that people find so fascinating and interesting. It is secure. It has never been hacked. It is a public ledger that is checked by multiple computers around the world when there's a transaction. You cannot commit fraud on it, and there's a public ledger of every transaction that's ever made on it that's attached to it forever. It's, it's supposed to be an amazingly elegant mathematical invention. What made me realize that Bitcoin was finally going to be a thing is it reminded me so much of the early days of the internet. I thought of that video. I don't know how many of you have seen the video of the Today Show where they gave their email address for the first time, I think it was. And it was, you can look it up on YouTube. It's Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric, I think. And Ooh, Bryant Gumbel is saying, he's, he's saying, what is internet? What is internet? And that's the same thing people have been saying about Bitcoin. But what's going on with Bitcoin is just a simple supply-demand equation. There are only 21 million Bitcoins that can ever be created. That's how the math of it was built. Three million are missing on hard drives that people can't access. So there's only going to be 18 million. There are more than 18 million millionaires on Earth. There's not enough Bitcoin to go around for each millionaire to own a single Bitcoin. So it's one of those supply-demand equations. And it Wall Street- It also might be rampant for speculation too, right? Exactly. you got speculation. You have, actual, you have serious Wall Street people now getting involved in it. Much later than people who bought it, and I didn't buy it when it was $10 and $20 and you know, $1,000, but now it's around $40,000 a Bitcoin. Some people say it's going to 100 this year. Nobody really knows, by the way. Anyone who tells you that something is going to a certain price on television, they don't know. None right. of us know. Um, but I, I think that it reminds me of the disruption of the Internet. But this is what you were just mentioning, the disruption of the monetary system. Right. It's, it's a frictionless way for people to exchange value globally without putting a bank in the center, with no central government in charge. With, yeah, you think with that's going to make people who are part of the system nervous? <laughs> they are They are very nervous. Right, They are right. very nervous about it. And so, and there's, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go well, ahead. There's, there's, so, there's so many people involved in it now, it's kind of the toothpaste is out of the tube on this one. I know they say well, there's going to be regulation. There can be smart regulation of the way it's taxed and the way you keep track of it, but they cannot put this back. It is, it is not controlled by, now China, they can stop it because they have that kind of power there. But wow. here, you're not gonna be able to do that. Well, it's you're, interesting you're not gonna, because sometimes if you're part of the, a system, and look, we're all part of a system, I'm sorry. Even people who say, hey, I'm all about innovation. You're part of a system. If you're, if you're, if you're in this thing that we're doing right now, you're part of a system, of course you are. So if you're part of a system and you look at all of these things that are coming that are technology, that are disruption, you just think there's no safe place anywhere. But I'm going to talk about this. There are always big risk in innovation, right? How do you <clears throat> stomach risk involved in identifying, following, and investing tech companies specifically and other innovators? Because it really looks like... You know, look, you, you really invest in people who have a vision for specific innovations. And does it, identifying these intense visionaries make you somehow feel better about the risk? Yes, absolutely. That is what, in, in 25 years of doing this, and, and trading is almost akin to gambling. People will say it, and it is. Investing is not. We have an amazing country and an amazing slew of companies in this country that are constantly innovating. I mean, we have vaccines available to us because we have amazing companies that came up with something because they had been working on it. They came up with that vaccine, Moderna did, that mRNA vaccine, literally over a single weekend and started testing it immediately. It was tested for longer than people realize if you'll read the detail about it. So we, we have these innovative companies and you look for those innovative leaders. 
And if you look back right. now, 25 years, looking backwards, and you say, how could I have missed Amazon? Because that's one I did. And you know why? I listened to the guys on CNBC. They don't make a profit. <laughs> They'll never make a profit. They're not profitable. Walmart is profitable. Target is profitable. They're not profitable. They'll never make a profit. Now they love that stock, but they didn't love it at 30, but they love it at 3,500. And what, what he was doing the whole time was building out the infrastructure for what is now Amazon by taking the profits and putting them into the business. Oh, yeah. And who's, if you had gone with him, now, right? right, if you had just gone with that guy, because he had this myopic focus on incredible customer service, fast delivery, ease of use. I mean, you know what it's like to have Amazon. You look for something and you need it and you boom. And then it's it, a lot of times it's there the next day now. It's phenomenal. And it really right. saved our bacon, a lot of us, during the lockdowns. Oh, yes. It was, All right. it was very vital. This is our final question for you, at least until people might have questions at the end. Can you share with us who you follow or watch that allows you to identify people who are good at real innovation? In other words, there's got to be some people who are good at identifying real innovators. I feel like everybody watches certain thought leaders. you got to have some of these. Who do you really watch, John? I have mentioned some of the names already. I mean, Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Square and Twitter, I would I would follow him. I would listen to some of the things that he says. Um, Musk has got you know he's got he's got a bunch of companies, guys. He's got Neuralink, which is uh, to creep some people out, but it's connecting the the human brain to a computer so that you can not use your thumbs and fingers as the input device, so that you can just think and the computer will react. Well, that's he, has, uh, he has the uh, the Hyperloop, which he's handed off to somebody else, which is basically like when you put your money in the tube at the bank. But people are going to be doing that underground. Um, and the one that I would point to for anybody who's really interested in innovative companies and investing, I mentioned her name earlier. There's a woman named Kathy Wood, and her firm is called Arc Investments. Now, she was very, very early on Tesla. And she predicted that Tesla, and it has split five for one, would eventually become a $21,000 stock. So that's around over $4,000 a share. And it's around six fifty dollars right now. Uh, people laughed at her. But this was when the stock was a fraction of what it was. Mm. And she has, a, she has five different mutual funds that you can purchase into if that's what you read the prospectus and you choose to do that that focus on different areas of innovation in wow. biotech in computers here's the cool thing i think you mentioned something about this with your rainmaker pathway you can go to arc investments and you can sign up for an email she will send you daily all of the trades that they did that day. You will see the names of the companies that they bought and sold and how right. many shares they bought and sold that day, and it's totally free. And all, right. all that company does is work on finding innovative companies, Teladoc, where you're meeting your doctor online, Zillow, wow. that's trying to re remake the real estate industry. These are some of the companies that they're invested heavily in. So Very I go to Kathy Wood, I'd, I'd look to her. All right. Well, thank you, John. And, and thank you for joining us on Innovation and in Audio. We appreciate you being here. Please stick around Thanks for, for a few me. minutes in case our guests have a few questions for you after our second interview. By the way, when you subscribe to our individual podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, you'll hear uh, some interesting things like when Sharina Rice from Intivo said a big problem that prevents autonomous vehicles from coming to the market is predicting pedestrians and where people are going to walk and move next. We solve these problems by using behavioral science. 
I would say that most people, they don't know much about artificial intelligence. They don't really know how to talk well about the topic. They also don't know about the regulations to ask uh, for from their elected officials. They continue to try to do things business as usual. You can learn what else she says about work with autonomous vehicles and behavior by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast. We have great guests and insight every single week that can help you grow, learn, and meet challenges of your career in the 21st century. Meet our guests live on Clubhouse or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything. The Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and the Encouragers The Radio Rally Podcast are both on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Now I get to kick back and listen to my friend Skip Dillard from WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City. By the way, the entire idea of innovation and audio came from Skip Dillard. Skip, how are you? I am good tonight, Lloyd, and uh, some fascinating stuff here. Always enjoy uh, a good learning session, and we just had one and, and are going to continue here. Um, I met this gentleman, actually inherited him when he was APD at WPGC it's at CBS at that time in Washington, D.C. I came there to replace uh, Jay Stevens when he went to Radio 1 in uh, 2007. And uh, Brown was so indispensable when I uh, ran to New York City. A year later, I was able to convince him to come up there with me. So, uh, <laughs> him up there. And uh, I guess, I guess, Brown, we can start first with your name because I, I you okay. know, where Brown came from. That Brown has nothing to do with your mo mom giving a name. No, it's not. It's um, you know, bottom line is um, my real name is Derek Williams. And um, coming in the industry, um, I learned branding really, really quick. There was a couple Derricks and um, <clears throat> already in the industry that were program directors, like my friend Derek Brown in uh, Chicago <laughs> and uh, VP of programming over at iHeart. And then, you know, of course, um, I think you you replaced them um, at BLS, correct? Vinny Brown, correct? Uh, Vinny Brown, yeah. Yeah, Vinny Brown, yeah. So. You know, coming into the industry, my D, my DJ name was DJ Brown Hornet. So people automatically assumed that either my last name was Brown and they would just put the two together. So I immediately just said, you know, just call me Brown. So nobody really knows my name, which is interesting. And and then people say, oh, what's where's Goosehead come from? That was my old first radio show, night show in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So hence is the, hence is the name. There you go. So just yeah. on Brown. <laughs> Brown works. So listen out. Shout out to Grand Rapids as well. Your home. Absolutely. Home this of the greatest boxer alive. Home of Amway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hey, man, uh, you started. You started out as a fabulous production director and working with mm -hmm. to make markets as well as uh, on air. Tell mm -hmm. me about your journey into programming and and how it came about. Well, I've I've always been the guy that wanted to just be behind the scenes. I always, um, growing up, <clears throat> um, being a DJ and being a part of the hip hop community, I think that was the first thing that got my sparked my interest in getting into radio. Um, radio was the the like the the only source, pretty much, of where we can get our new music. Which obviously, all of us on this um, clubhouse know that that has definitely changed. Um, what led me to programming is, um, I just really, actually, I wanted to stay behind the scenes and my first job just as, uh, at Goodrich Marketing Radio <clears throat> was, uh, at this station called, uh, KWM. And, um, I actually was interning at the time in the same building at another station called WSNX. And, um, when they were looking to hire somebody, I was like, well, I'll be your production director. And, uh, and they said, well, and um, I guess they were getting, uh, the, they got the future of radio and where it was going. They said, well, if you want this job, you have to be on the air as well. So um, that led me to taking the job as well as being on air. And I had so much success there that um, I want to say less than a year, um, D.C. came in calling. And when I got to D.C., that's where I picked up the the programming bug. Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was um, 
you know, we'll get to that in a moment, you know, mm -hmm. in, in Washington, D.C., and moving from, you know, a, a market that, you know, certainly a mid-sized market in its own right, but, but right. that was quite a jump. And uh, tell me a little bit about your current role. You paid a lot of dues at, at Alpha and worked your way through. How, how, how did that work out? How did that come to be for you? Well, absolutely. I want to say um, I was uh, just wrapping up my tenure at um, Radio One, um, my assignment there in Philly. And actually, I was just kind of thinking about, at that point, I was thinking about getting out of radio. And then one of my mentors, a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Mr. Dillard, uh, called me and convinced me that I should probably look into this position. And um, that was in Louisville. <clears throat> and so naturally, initially, I was like, mm, I'm not really interested. Just coming from New York, D.C., all these major markets. Um, but uh, I got a good piece of sound advice um, from you, Skip. And that's what made me actually go interview for the job. Once I got to interview for the job, I just simply told them, I said, look, <clears throat> I've been I've been doing this for many, many years and I'm interested. I, I am dedicated to really grooming talent and I want to groom uh, programming talent as well. And um, they kept their word. They said, well, we don't have anything right now, but if you come in and you know, help us with this market. We'll we'll throw you something else, and that's exactly what happened. And uh, uh, basically, I want to say less than a year after being in Louisville, I was over the stations, um, formerly ran by Al Payne, which was WGZB and Magic. Um, and I want to say uh, after that, um, I worked I worked on a couple projects for uh, with Alpha Media. Um, they liked what I was doing. I showed results and, and they put their trust and their faith behind me. And so since then, I've, I've been the format captain for Urban. Well, and, you know, Urban, Urban AC, which is now R&B, adult R&B radio as mm -hmm. well as gospel. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great stuff. And I think what, you know, what, what got me about you when I was coming into PGC, I, you know, been in the interview process for a while and, I remember uh, Reggie Krause, who runs V103 in Atlanta, is now an uh, urban vice president of programming for um, Odyssey. Mm -hmm. um, he was telling me, he said, hey, why don't you give Brown a call since you're going now? I, I told Brown you're coming, who you are. And I was sitting there because by yourself for months after Jay Stevens left, you were holding together a station that had the uh, most expensive non-syndicated talent in the company. And Donnie says, <laughs> do is millions. You had uh, Demu, who was a former BET television personality, big mm -hmm. ticker, who was mm -hmm. a TV personality and did red carpets for MTV at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Michelle Wright, voiceover, Sirius XM. And, and you were managing all of these people by yourself. And and we talked and I said, man, I can't wait to come in and help because you got your hands full. And, and, and Oh my gosh. <laughs> the dynamics in that building at that time, Skip, as you, as you, as you know, I mean, when you have some like a great talent like that and at the top of that pile would be Donnie Simpson. Um, yeah. Everybody in that building inspired just like um, NBA players, is inspired to be Mike. Everybody inspired to be Donnie Simpson. So <laughs> naturally, um, that was probably one of the biggest, that was probably the start of one of my biggest challenges, but which groomed me because that was the first time I realized that, you know, um, when it comes to talent, you know, it's not is it's not black it's not a black or white thing uh in what i mean it, what it's not straight lace of how you manage talent you got to figure out what makes them special and you have to be able to gain their trust and be able to coach them as you know donnie simpson's if he was not messing with you you can walk in a studio and he will put his paper up in front of his face and act like you weren't there Yep. And that's 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 important. And that's not something that he did every day. Let, let me mm -hmm. um, clear that up because Donnie was awesome. You know, I mean, Donnie, you know, Im imparted so much knowledge. He has so much. He was a program director himself and he started off in radio very early. Um, but it showed me something. And that that was anybody that was anybody in that building that when you believe in yourself and your brand, people will believe in you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, man. And then 
uh, you know, I brought you when I left for New York City. I, I brought you up there, and then you stepped into the den with Wendy oh. Williams, <laughs> Egypt, Egypt Sherrod, who's now a personality at HGTV, uh, Nationwide, and, mm -hmm. and we had Steve Harvey we had Steve. to deal with. And, yes. uh, you know, I tell you, it, uh, it really um, is amazing you know, what makes, uh, uh, you know, great talent uh, tick. And I guess for me, it's just, you know, for you, um, you know, what do you tell that young aspiring talent you see the potential in that is, is, is you know, could possibly go to that higher level? Like, what, what do you try to instill in them early on? Well, I, I mean, first things first, I, you know, I think everyone, and I, I, and I guess this is an old Sly song, um, everyone, I believe everyone's a star. Everyone has something special about them. And it's up to that person um, to find that. Because here's the thing, you can't, you know, <clears throat> you only can coach talent. You can't, you can't, you can't teach those gifts. You know what I mean? And, um, and so, you know, with that being said, those who are coming into, into this game now, I, I would, I would do like those who came before you. And that is to study, you know, um, the people that came before you. And also, you know, at this point, most of the people that are walking through our doors now, they're already, you know, 20 plus years with, you know, digital, whether it be phones, um, AOL, yeah. uh, you know, you name it. And it's important at this point that everyone knows how to communicate and move and brand themselves over all the, all the digital platforms, social media, and things of that nature. Yeah. Your skills as a club DJ led to, when you came to BLS, you kind mm -hmm. of took trains as well as music director and assisting uh, on all fronts. But what was really most amazing for me, one of the things was that you built, uh, you know, with your club DJ experience, a celebrity DJ roster, most of them are still on the air today, nearly eight years after your nine years after you left New York to go to to go to Philly. Um, you know, DJ Scratch, who's one of the DJs featured on Versus, the IG mm -hmm. platform that Timbaland and Swiss Beat started. Um, you hired Marley Marl, who is a producer of LL Cool J and many of the rappers that you yes. know. Grammy, legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame status. Mm -hmm. um, you brought on uh, John Quick, who was very big on all the 90s, uh, R&B, mm -hmm. J. Blige's. Um, you know, and mixing is no longer a novelty on radio. They've been doing it a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, for a mixer, what's something, you know, what comes together to make you say, hey, this person can actually have a party for us on the radio. I, you know, what, what skills are needed? Cause I often get mixers that contact me and say, Hey, how do I, how do I get on, uh, you know, the top 40 with making urban radio stations when, you know, DJs technically come a dime a dozen, you know, I, I really feel like mixers are really many program directors, you know, they do, you know, we're all for TSL appointments, um, you know, Q, and that's the same thing, you know, um, mixers, um, we're in the people business. Um, I, I know me and you've talked about this before and you know, what makes a great mixer is that he knows his crowd. He knows his crowd. When I approach programming, um, I vision and, and, and that's why mixers are near and dear to my heart is that I'm, I, the area that I'm programming to the city, that is the dance floor. And my job is to, you know, get the message out there to get people to the party and on a dance floor and then keep them there as long as I can. And to me, that is what a mixer does. They're able to read the crowd, you know, engage the crowd um, and, and create and uh, deliver a, a listening experience. Whether you're playing, you know, Rob Bass or Lil Baby or, you know, Silk Sonic or you know, Nicki Minaj, Kanye, it, it, you, you got to know how to read your crowd. Yeah, and I, I agree. And it goes so much into music programming as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, part of your current job includes not just talent, but identifying programming talent, PDs, brand managers, whatever they call us this month. 
you know, what the heck are we today, I guess? <laughs> How do you just define a, a strong uh, director of audio brands or whatever they want to call us? What skill sets today uh, do you feel are most important to you from a programming standpoint? Well, I, I look for people who are creative, uh, creators of culture or, or innovators of culture. You know, in this day and age now that you have, you're, you're, if you have a team, your team is doing so many different things. Not only are you doing, you know, you're running three different stations and, you know, selector, music, programming, marketing. Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, let's go ahead and throw a concert. Oh, yeah, you're the promoter. Um, it's just important that, you know, when, when I'm looking for a program director, I'm looking for leaders, leadership qualities, you know, um, you know, are, how, how are they able to manage folks? You know, what are, what are their styles? You know, um, that's first and foremost, because you you're in the people business. So you have to be, you know, a people, you have to be a people person. So I always say, you got to start with the people in the building before you can start with the people outside the building. And if you're not great in there, you're not going to be great outside the building. And that's, yeah. and that's one of the main things that I look for because everybody's going to come in and, you know, you can go to the Nielsen site already and look up, you know, terms for TSL or whether you're in a PPM market or, you know, diary market or CDM or whatever. You know, that's always going to be out there. Um, you could have served under, you know, uh, a great program director and you, you, you never even you never went anywhere. You just you were good at executing, but you weren't good at coaching and in molding the environment into like a championship environment, a winning environment, an environment where people want to come and be innovative. I've, I heard Lloyd and um, John, the two before us, talk about innovation, and that's key. And so you have to create that environment. You have to be a creator of a champion environment. And that's where that's what I look for first, because, you know, a lot of times us in this industry, some of us have not turned the corner. We fought. <laughs> We fought the websites. Uh, we're like, no, we're we're programming to, you know, the radio. Why are we programming websites? We fought social media. Um, some of our talent fight podcasting, um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, and and so on and so on. And so what we're seeing is, you're only seeing a handful of people who actually turned the corner. Now there are some people out there that, not necessarily their brand is just huge, and so. You, you don't expect them to be doing all the social media stuff, but their brand is so big that they have the help that's necessary. But if you're up and coming or in the middle of there, you need to learn all that stuff. Podcasting is important because that's another extension of your brand. And um, and that's what people are looking for. We're creating listening experiences. Yeah. And, you know, man, we're, you know, this uh, these variants and, and, you know, the surgeons bikes especially in some southern areas mm -hmm. um, you know we've been fighting to, to try to find our way out of this pandemic um so far what are some lessons that this past 16 17 months have taught you both professionally and, and personally well one of the things that i did right away with my staff um because you got to remember right before the pandemic our industry was pretty much rocked with uh, downsizing. It, it was like iHeart had, uh, I think they were on their second or third round of layoffs. Um, you know, Intercom, uh, Cumulus, everybody everywhere were pretty much, and, and actually I was probably, I was the result of a layoff as well at Radio One. Um, and what I would say is that um, the, the first thing that I, zeroed in was that I told my people, I said, listen, you guys have to skill up. Don't be afraid to, you know, make a mistake at something new. That's, I, that's the best way I can say it. You know, um, in, 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 when you're talking to seasoned folks like, you know, a Wendy Williams or a, um, a Curtis, Curtis Wilson, um, uh, or, or Shamar or Wendy Williams, uh, or I say Wendy, or I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> thinking of Lady B, you, yeah. you know, those people that I, I just named, they're not scared. To, they're not scared to be innovative. They're not scared to learn something new. 
And that was the first thing I, I explained to them because it was going to be different. And it was, as you, as we saw that we had shut down um, the innovation of software, like uh, StreamYard became very important. That became a solution to our sales department for uh, re, uh, remotes. Um, it came became a solution for us as far as getting content. You know, um, we're content creators, content managers, content directors, and, and, and we're all about that content. So that was one of the first things we did. And the other thing was that I had to, you know, the wellness check on my people was very important to me because especially we were at a time where George Floyd, um, one of my markets at uh, Louisville had the Breonna Taylor. It was really, it was really time for us to be sensitive and in tune with the people and be responsible um, because we had a lot of rioting in Louisville. Um, so it was just important that one, that I encouraged the talent and help them to not be afraid of what's happening. Even if you're going home, don't be afraid to make a mistake, but we have to learn something new. We have to approach this a different way. The other thing was to say, hey, how's your mental going? You know, and, I, and I'll be the first one to say it. It was difficult. Um, not only did I have COVID, on my way to the hospital, um, I was on phone calls and we were doing um, furloughs. Um, and then you turn on the TV and there, there's a man with his neck, I mean, with his knee on someone's neck and you see that. Um, uh, and that was affecting everyone and it was affecting me. And I really had to be in tune with myself and then be sensitive to others and make sure I did wellness checks. Um, and that's how we've been, you know, we've been taking it day by day, but that's how we, um, we approach the pandemic and we've been successful. Um, the only other thing I would say is that, you know, inside the building, there was that dynamic of those who believed in the vaccine and those who didn't. And I wanted to, and, you know, we were still in the political climate as well. There, we had Trump supporters and then we had, people who were, you know, for Biden. And so it, for me, it was just all about making sure that the environment was there for respect, um, for people to continue to be encouraged and to learn. And so for those to remember that we do have a duty, but at the same time, you know, as, as uh, management, we have to make sure that we tend to our people's needs so they can be there for the people, the community. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't agree more. I think we all became therapists uh, for each other, you know, during this. And, you know, sadly, with a lot of the, the violent activities we see on airplanes, the way people are treating mm -hmm. each other, Vegas and the Bronx and, you know, the screaming we see out in the streets. I think a lot of people are suffering from various forms of depression, mental illness, anxiety. Yes. A lot of it is pandemic based. Some of it. Uh, political based, uh, you know, as well. So, you know, that's a lot. I, I think Brown will end off with something a little bit lighter. I mean, you've okay. got thousands of stories like I do, something <laughs> funny or something crazy or something unexpected. I, I was hoping you'd share one with us before we uh, get ready for questions. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Skip. Some of those, I don't know if we should share some of those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> They're real funny, but um, no, you know what? Um, uh, gosh, you know, I thought about this, Skip, and I was like, you know, I think back to when um, we did uh, T.I. Uh, remember, we used to do the PGC pavilions. I remember that. Yeah, that was kind of our way of, you know, we to the to the, the listening audience, we made them believe like we were just at this big you know, place where there's, you know, nobody's secret concert location and nobody can get in. Oh, excuse me, guys. I'm sorry. Well, anyways, we, we had T.I. in the pavilion and um, this is when T.I. was just fresh off the block and oh, he yeah. comes in with his entourage and I'm just, you know, trying to make sure everything's okay. He's coming into the studio, whatever, and um, he's getting ready to perform and I accidentally trip him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was so close to him. I swear, I thought that his security was going to do something to me. And he just turned around. He said, it's okay, bro. You still my partner. And um, he went on and 
he tore that show up. And, you know, it just gave me <laughs> newfound respect. You know, when you're what, the one thing that I would say about leadership, period, is just that leadership, you have to have the ability to learn how to put your ego away and you have to be able to be to serve. That's where leadership starts. And that's kind of that's kind of where I've been. And that's and I, and I always look to serve, you know, serve other people first, make sure and lead the way. If there's anything that I'm requesting of anyone, you know, I'm one of the persons that's willing to do it first. So, yeah, man, that, that's cool. Well, well uh, uh, Brown, we, uh, you know, always I appreciate you and, and anybody that knows you knows that you, you put your all into every task you take on. So I know you're an inspiration to your teams and your staffs that you work with. And just wanted you to stick around for a couple of minutes minutes for questions. But but thank you so much. And we'll hand it back. No problem. You. Thank you for having us. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I got to say thank you, Skip. What a great interview. And, and Derek or Brown, if you will. Uh, he is going to stick around a few minutes in case you have some questions. A couple of things that I picked up in there. I don't know. I don't know if you picked these up, but the first one was if you are in the business of audio, if you're in the business of social media, if you're in the business of radio and you're not engaging in podcasts, you're not engaging in social media, you're not learning new things. Yeah, those people are going to fade. There's no question about it. We have got to be on our game in the 21st century. We're almost 25 years in. We are going to open up the room in case you do have a question for our guest or somebody on our panel. Just push the button at the bottom right that you see on your iPhone or your Android device. Raise your hand. And of course, we'll bring you right up to the stage. We do ask that you mute your mic until we call on you. By the way, when you, in, when you join the encouragers, which we encourage you to do, of course we do with the encouragers. Uh, you don't have to speak up on these events. You don't have to talk live if you don't want to. I'd like to make sure that people know that's an option for them. I don't want people to feel like we're putting them on a spot. Uh, our goal is to provide you with interesting contact uh, content, advice, career hacks to move your career forward and to engage you. We're not trying to put you on the spot. But if um, you just must know that we also don't mind sharing the stage with you if you're so inclined. So we'd like to extend this offer to you each Wednesday. Don't forget that Monday you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally on Clubhouse right here in the Encouragers. Of course, we'll have the Sharpen Your Creativity event. Our guest on Monday, Lance Tidwell, who's the program director of ZZK in Birmingham, Alabama, and Morning Show Talent, Tim Leary with WIRK in West Palm Beach. They both will be here answering your questions. You'll learn some really interesting things from them. Tell your friends in innovation, audio, and specifically radio, they can get our free resources at RainmakerPathway.com in our free blog section. If you have a specific challenge, you'd like to have some strategic advice, simply email me for free and confidential consultation at FO ORD at RainmakerPathway.com. Uh, Skip, do you have a question for somebody on our panel right quick? Well, you know what? I, I mean, uh, you know, I just really enjoyed, uh, you know, John's thoughts, especially, you know, just talking about Wall Street and crypto, you know, dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, financial people. I thought it was interesting. You confirmed uh, what I heard about, you know, a lot of new technology and, and new innovation and, you know, how, you know, people tend to poo-poo it uh, that aren't directly uh, in it. I guess, you know, my only question for John would be, you know, what what do you think is coming in 2022? We're waiting on 5G rollouts. We're waiting on, uh, you know, so many whispered uh, uh, opportunities that are coming with the Internet of Things, uh, you know, in your crystal ball, what do we what do we look like in the coming year as we, God willing, move out of the pandemic? Uh, I would think, yeah, 5G is going to be a big innovation. I think so many people are on to that already as far as investing. I don't specifically have a notion of something I'm personally invested in with that. Um, for the rest of this year, for me personally, again, not investment advice, I am really thinking that uh, Bitcoin and crypto are going to 
have a resurgence as we head towards 2022. I think you're going to see some some significant moves up again in those. I just think the supply demand equation is coming into play. We've had a nice correction in those, and um, I don't trade those. It's too hard. I try to invest or add to on big pullbacks and hold them. I think this is uh, something that's going to play out over several years, but. I think you're going to see a lot of movement in crypto and in fintech companies like Square and PayPal. And even potentially, you're going to start to see some things maybe happening around the real estate industry with Zillow and Open Door as we migrate out of an old business model in real estate towards something more streamlined that's more app friendly, where a new generation of millennials that are buying homes can take care of everything on their phone the way they do with. Uh, with with an Uber or a Lyft or uh, DoorDash or any other things uh, that that's that's a industry I think that's ripe for a lot of disruption. So um, Zillow, Open Door might be some things I think you're going to see some movement there with companies like that and innovation. Cool. Well, I tell you what, the future's here, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it and it, it happens so this stuff happens so quickly. And a lot of these industries get caught napping. And before they know it, they've got uh, the targets not on their back. They've been hit. And it's, right. they have a hard time getting getting their grip back. It's lunchtime, and they're the one being eaten, right? Yeah. And it's it, it just moves so quickly. It seems like something that seems like a feature then just becomes something that sweeps so quickly uh, into an industry like this Um like like Venmo as as part of PayPal and how many people are using that and it gets them in the PayPal ecosystem and then they can buy crypto by using PayPal and Venmo and just and it spreads like wildfire and before you know it they're doing all their banking over there and they're not okay. going to Wells Fargo anymore and folks that's money right there we do try to keep things to just about an hour we've gone a little bit over tonight our thanks to innovation investor john crenshaw and alpha media director of urban programming uh i just want to go ahead and go on record as saying his name is brown Derek Brown. And uh, what can Brown do for you? I know he's heard that a ton, right? Oh, uh, man. <laughs> I, wanna, I, I do want to thank both of y'all for being such patient and giving guests. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, which will be available in the next hour or so. So you can listen to it again. You can share it with friends. And of course, I do want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing the podcast. Please do share our podcasters, our podcast themselves, Innovation in Audio and the Radio Rally. Put the encouragers in front of both of those, of course, uh, with others that you know who are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts will be available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember this. Gosh, if you don't remember anything else, please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of Innovation in Audio with the Encouragers, and good night.